Alright all, well, thanks for being here. Let's start with a word of prayer. I need the Lord's help, and we all need it. And let's, let's hope that God works on our hearts to open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to receive what he has to say about this prevalent issue. So let's just pray as we begin our time. Our gracious God in heaven, we do give you thanks and praise. Your mercies are new every morning, and Father, how often do we need to be reminded of what is true in this world? God, our own flesh fights against what we know to be true. The world itself fights against that. The enemy fights against that. But Lord, our anchor is sure in Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would draw our souls to the sufficiency of Christ as we wage against sin in our life. We can't do this without you, Lord. So I do ask for your, your blessing upon our time that you would accomplish your will. For your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so yes, the topic we're addressing is dealing with anxiety and depression. <clears throat> there are many fears that are, we have two phones set up. Oh, you do? <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. A third doesn't hurt, but we have two already. Um, there are many fears that are instilled in culture. I think you know that, but maybe we don't realize how often culture just seeks to instill fear in our hearts, especially with shootings. I mean, you look at the news, by the way, right? You look at the news, and one hour of the news can leave you itself anxious and depressed. Like, look at this world. Look at all, all the fears they have. And I hate those, the commercials for the news. Like, right, like you're watching a show, and the news is like, see the most deadliest thing that can impact your family right, right today, tonight. At 11 o'clock tonight. <laughs> You're like, like can, I, can I at least know a hint? Can I get a preview first? Like, it's, it's just, they, they want to instill fear and anxiety so that you watch them. It's, it's, it's ingrained in culture, sadly. I mean, shootings are all around and rampant. Disease, um, vaccines, food shortages now, governmental regulations. On top of that, religious persecution. Um, you got not only that, but pressure from your own society, from, I mean, from your own friends, from your own friend groups. Pressures to fit in, pressures to be cool, pressures to look attractive, pressures to, to, to look a certain way. Like it's placed upon you constantly. It's all around you. And the thing is, I don't think you realize it often where it's coming from. What you see is the effects of that. And you, you notice now, like, why am I just not happy with life anymore? Why am I just always fearful thinking about things, thinking about the outcome? You see the effects of that. You may not realize what that effect is coming from. Um, so it's really ingrained, sadly. Societal pressures are just real for youth, especially for your age group. Um, dressing a certain way, looking a certain way, bullying. Um, now it's like a big thing to find your gender. What's your gender? What's your, I don't even know if they would use the term gender now, right? But w w what's your identity, right? You have to know that. Um, it's a lot of pressures. There are countless reasons because of that. There are countless reasons why you could be anxious. Countless reasons why you could be depressed, but it doesn't mean you should be. It doesn't mean you should be. There are countless reasons to be, but it doesn't mean you should be. We're all prone to worry to some degree. We're all prone to anxiety, all prone to depressing thoughts. And as we're going to address fear and anxiety, these two issues, these are two big issues. Um, there is a lot of distinction between these two. In the sense that there's differences between them, but there's also a lot of overlap, which is why I put it together so it, it'd be more helpful to reach more of a general audience of just anxiety and depression. So there's some overlap between the two of what's causing them, how do we address them. But there's also some distinctions I'm going to have to make as we go through. But basically, I want us to get a, a, some sort of a, a decent grasp on how do I address anxiety that I have, depression that I have. Like I said, it's not an uncommon struggle. I struggle with anxiety at times, many times, if I'm honest. So it's not as if you, because you're struggling with these things that you're just the black sheep, uh, that because you have this, this struggle that you're different. And that's the one thing I'll point out, but that's a, another lie, is that if, if, you, if, the, if the enemy can get you to believe that you're the only one struggling with this, if he, if he can get you to think that you're the only one really dealing with these things, that you, you're weird, like you're the only one who does that, shame on you. Then if you believe that lie, that's a bad lie to believe because it's not true. But I'm confident in God's word and confident in our God that he has a solution. He has the antidote for these things. So let's first start by analyzing anxiety and depression. Let's just analyze it. What's going on there? 
Is all worry bad worry? So we're thinking of fear, anxiety. Is all worry, if I'm worried about something, is it all bad worry? I'm going to say no. All worry is not bad worry. There is actually such a thing as good worry. There's such a thing as good worry. What do I mean by that? Is that you could have concern, but a good kind of concern. Obviously, the bad concern is the anxiety where it just stirs inside you and it just takes you out. But there is a thing called good concern. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25, Paul says that, <clears throat> so that there may be no division in the body, but there are members, but that the members may have the same care for one another. In other words, Paul's saying here that he doesn't want any division, but you should have the same concern, the same worry for one another. So a good kind of concern is to actually, a good kind of worry is to have a concern for whom? Other people. That as a body in Christ, I should have concern for my brothers and sisters. That that's a good kind of godly worry. That I want to be worried about the well-being of my brother Tate. Is he okay? I want to, let me follow up on him. That's a good a godly concern. It's, it's directed not on myself, but on someone else. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 32, this applies to all of you, unless you're married or staff in this room, but this applies to all of you. This is the kind of concern that God wants you to have, the right kind of worry God wants you to have. The unmarried should be concerned about the things of the Lord. So you want to be worried. If you want to be anxious about something and you're a believer, be worried and anxious about the things of God. How you can be working in the things of God, how God, how you can be loving the things of God, growing in the things of God. These are proactive good things. Because listen, listen here, worry in itself is not bad, but what sin does is it takes a good thing that God wants you to have and it perverts it. Because now I'm no longer worried about my brothers and sisters, everyone else. I'm now worried about myself and my fears and what's going to happen to me. You see what's happening now? Instead of turning outward, my concerns and worries are turning now against me, which is when it gets sinful. And we're prone to that, but we have to realize, what does God want you to do with your concern? And obviously, fear, or worry, I'm sorry, it's not improper, it's not proper planning. So James 4.13, we're basically not against planning. You want to plan, you want to prepare, but that's not the kind of worry that is sinful. Now, ungodly concern, having said that, what is the ungodly sinful concern that we want to be worried about? That when a person is, I guess they become anxious, Their body is awakened, so to speak. Their body is awakened. And what's going on on the outside? How can you tell when the sinful concern, the sinful anxiety is happening? What's happening on the outside? The heart rate is increasing. It provides more oxygen to the muscles to prepare the body for action. So in in a real way, God actually instilled a good kind of concern. So when you are... If you're in the forest at night, right, when we're playing the game last night, you're going through all these branches, the trees, you're looking for the opposition, right? And you have some, your heart's bumping and beating, right? And you, your, your, your senses are heightened. But that's God instilled because he instilled that in you for a purpose. That when you are under pressure and you want to protect yourself, those are good reactions. But when anxiety happens, that goes into overreaction. And it starts to swell and the body reacts. That the sweating happens of the body to, to, to have more cooling. Um, you have now the, the, the shaking, the trembling, which becomes overemphasized. Your hearing and your sight become more sensitive, so now you can hear more, you're seeing more, but then now with anxiety attacks, panic attacks, now it's just heightened so that it cripples you. Um, all these things, hyperventilation is, is common, which leads to dizziness and numbness in the fingers. All that can happen as we're thinking about something, being overly anxious about something, and it just overcomes our body the, the, so that now I, I can't think. I'm hyperventilating. I can't breathe. I, my, I can't see. Sometimes you black out or you have dizzy spells. It's overtaking your body because this anxiety, this anxious thought is overwhelming you. With depression, you can obviously feel sadness. You just be overwhelming sadness. You begin to feel weary about something where now it's like what you're feeling, the sadness that you have, it's, it's beyond just this feeling of grief and sadness. But now it's just overtaking you. You're just overwhelmed. Like, a, like a, a weight is on your chest and it's just I'm just I'm just taken out. Now, there is a distinction, though, for depression, just like there's a good kind of worry and there's a bad kind of worry for depression. There is a, a kind of uh, discouragement that's not sinful and a discouragement that is sinful that we want to look at. Because in depression, what happens is a person is not only sad, they're not only down, but they're also out. 
So again, with depression, someone's not only down or sad, but they're down and out. It's actually the name of a book by Wayne Mack. I recommend that to you if you're struggling with depression. Wayne Mack, Down down and Out. Um, So depression is when someone is down but also out. By out, I mean he's no longer or she's no longer addressing the responsibilities of life. Those basic responsibilities of life are no longer being addressed. I I don't feel like doing schoolwork. I don't want to get up and clean. I don't want to do my chores. I don't want to do anything. In that case, you're neglecting good godly responsibilities. And that's when depression can become sinful because it's now neglecting the very things that God has placed you to do. But you can't because you're so overcome with depression. But discouragement is not bad. It's not bad. It's not sinful to feel sad at times. Sad all the time. Well, not all the time, but oftentimes. But what we do with that discouragement and what's the reason for that discouragement is what we want to look at. So it's not wrong to be discouraged, um, but it is bad when you become discouraged so much that you cannot even attend to your daily routine, your daily responsibilities. Does that make sense with depression? Depression is, or discouragement is you're down. Depression is you're down and out. I'm just done. So when is a person depressed is when they're down and out. Now look at some, I want to look at some few biblical examples of depression in scripture. In Genesis chapter 4 verse 6, when speaking of Cain and Abel, Cain, verse 6, it says, The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, Cain? And why has your countenance fallen? We'll look at this in a little bit, but Cain himself is in the middle of a downward spiral that leads to, obviously, we know what Cain, Cain does. He murders his brother. But he begins there with some depressing thoughts, some anger, and he never addresses it, which is why he spirals down and out. In 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 4, this is Elijah. It says about Elijah, a godly man. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die. This is God's prophet. The one who went against Ahab. Right? He just had a huge success in his ministry against the prophets of, of Israel, I mean the, the counter prophets, the pagan prophets. He just had a huge success. But then after that huge success, if you recall in First Kings, is that they said now, Jezebel, like, I'm gonna kill you, Elijah. I'm gonna go after you. Even though he had a huge success in ministry. Now he's depressed because someone wants to take his life. And he says, I want to die. That Elijah, in some regard, was suicidal at that time. And he said, it is enough now. Oh, Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my father's. Psalm 42, verse 5, speaking to the sons of Korah, why are you in despair, O my soul, and why have you become disturbed within me? He's depressed. Many accounts in scripture where people are depressed because of Why? The circumstances. When we're depressed, when we're anxious, it doesn't just come out of nowhere, but oftentimes it's in response to the circumstances in your life. When these sovereign circumstances, I'm calling them sovereign circumstances. Why am I calling it sovereign circumstances? Because they're sovereign and ordained by whom? By whom? By whom? By God. And so depression and anxiety can happen because we respond to sovereign circumstances that God has placed in our life. And when we respond to them in sinful ways, then it can manifest in anxiety or depression. One personal account someone described when they were dealing with depression, they said, In depression, one sad thought leads to another, and in a very few moments, you are in the depths of despair. Besides painful thoughts, Another habit of depression is crying. It is very difficult to break the habit. That's just downward spiral. Another person said, depression that robs you of your energy, your affections, your happiness, contentment, reasoning, etc. It leaves you bewildered, confused, sad, angry, sometimes resentful, sometimes tearful, anxious, nervous. Your stomach is in knots. I don't know if you can relate to any of those accounts to some degree, but it's a real thing that plagues even the believer. At times, if Elijah can struggle with depression, you can too. But trust that God has answers to that struggle. Now, what are some reasons? Now, we looked at analyzing what's happening with depression and anxiety, but let's look at some reasons of anxiety and depression. What are some reasons for anxiety and depression? Now, again, these are closely related, but but not the same. But what's going on the inside? Specifically for anxiety, What's happening is an over-anxious concern for the future and things. 
Anxiety is rooted in an over-anxious concern about the future or about things. For example, for you, trying to keep your schedule, you may have many things to do. You may be balancing school work, ministry, athletics, chores. There are many things that you may have to be wrestling with. Your task with schoolwork. There are many things that you could be anxious about because you're worried about, am I going to get the right grade? Am I going to pass this class? What are these people going to think about me? How, what is, what's going to happen when I go into this situation? Are people going to judge me? What am I going to say if someone just calls upon me and talks to me? Well, all these reasons now, you're anxious now about what? The future or things or people, right? The reason for it is you're thinking more about what is in the future, not in the present. You're thinking about the anxious turn of events, the news, the world, um, etc. In depression, it can be the result of responding to the awareness even of, of our own personal sin or failure. So not only for anxiety, but for depression, depression sometimes happens because of sin. We know our failures, we know our inadequacies, and that takes us out. Certain goals that you had for yourself, there's certain desires that maybe you had that you wanted, maybe an outcome that didn't happen or turn out in the way that you wanted, and so now you're, you're depressed because it's not the outcome I wanted. My, my, my parents got divorced. My friends, my friend group changed. Like all these instances that happened in your life, again, God's sovereign decree, but now I'm responding to it in a way that God does not want me to respond to it. Physical exhaustion could be a reason for even depression. You're overworked, but realize that God wants you to rest. That's a really, that's a good thing. I think someone said it the first night. The most spiritual thing you could do sometimes is take a nap. <laughs> now, the problem with youth sometimes, y'all take like three-hour naps, like every day. <laughs> um, but, but sometimes rest is appropriate. And illness can be another reason. Sometimes there's illnesses going on. There's medical issues. So for even for depression, something, the first thing I'll ask people to do if they're struggling with depression is to get a medical checkup. Because there could be some sort of medical things going on. Your thyroid could be underacting or overacting. There could be issues just medically, organically going on with you that need to be addressed medically. Um, and that's a legitimate reason. But I want to look closely now at Cain again that I mentioned. When we, I want you to get a good idea of what's happening now, the reasons where, for example, depression starts. Now, we know the, the story of Cain, I'm sure. But in chapter 4, verse 3, which we, I mentioned br- briefly already, it says in verse 3, so it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. So Cain brought an offering. Verse 4, Abel on his part also brought of the first the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain brought an offering, Abel brought an offering. Now, what was the response for God for Abel's offering? How did God receive Abel's offering? He accepted the offering. It was good. Was it good? Yes. It was good. He had, he had regard for Abel's offering. How did God respond to Cain's offering? He rejected it, right? So now at that moment for Cain, he has two options. He can either respond rightly or he can lash out. What does Cain choose? He lashes out. But before he lashes out, verse 5 So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. So Cain became angry and then depressed. So God responded to his offering by rejecting it. And so Cain had two options. He realized he should have realized that his heart was not right in that offering. And he should have realized, Lord, you're good and gracious and you're right. Forgive me for that. And he could have offered another good offering. Amen. But what did he choose to do? He rejected his offering that he knew was not given in the right heart, and he became angry. And that anger resulted in depression, so his countenance fell. You see this spiral happening. There's an action that happened, and instead of acting upon that rightly by repenting and by saying, you know, you're right, or by just, in another circumstance, by just responding to the the sovereignty of God, Lord, your will be done. Help me to trust in you. Instead of doing that, what Cain did, he said, oh, I hate this. This is ridiculous. Oh, this makes no sense. And then he just downward spiraled again. His countenance fell. He became depressed. Then what happened after that? God came back in his, in his, in his graciousness and his mercy and said, Cain, Cain, listen. Cain, sin is knocking on your door, Cain. You, you, you're, you're spiraling. You're spiraling, Cain. 
Now, what you should you do, Cain? You need, to, you need to conquer it or it's going to master you. So even God in his mercy came back to Cain again and said, Cain, listen here. Stop it. You're spiraling. But did Cain listen? He spiraled again. And what happened? It eventually resulted in him murdering his brother. Obviously, all people struggle with depression does not mean you can eventually commit murder. But the point I want you to see here is what's happening is a downward spiral with anxiety and with depression where someone has an incident and instead of acting upon it in the right way, either submitting to the sovereignty of God or by, if necessary, repenting, instead of acting, they're reacting. Does that make sense? Instead of acting upon it proactively, they're reacting to that. And when they're reacting to that, they're allowing that to overcome them. I hate this circumstance. I'm angry about it. And now it's weighing me down. And now not only is it weighing me down, now I'm just depressed because I keep thinking about it. And now I'm more depressed because I'm thinking about this. And now I'm more anxious because I'm thinking what can happen after this. It's this downward spiraling. You see what's happened here with that? That there's a downward spiraling because we're reacting instead of acting upon the sovereignty of God. In that situation. Does that make sense? Now, again, like I said, there, there could be examples for many kinds of anxiety and depression. Another example I want to give you. I know someone who was um, they were struggling with anxiety, deep anxiety, crippling anxiety. And they were on medication for it for many, many years. And the reason why they're on the medication is says I have a medical problem. I'm just anxious. The medical community has many labels for that. OCD, all kinds of things, uh, all kinds of obsessive compulsive disorder, generalized anxiety, panic disorders, um, PTSD. There's many labels that the medical community places upon some issues that are really heart issues. But for this person in particular, they were struggling with anxiety and were on medication for a long time. And the only response to that anxiety was, yes, medication is what helps them. But when I was talking to this person even more, what they began to convey to me was what they were anxious about. I began to ask questions, inquisitive questions. And what they confessed is that this person who's older in age realized, I'm close to dying. I'm getting close, they said. I'm getting close. And what was that person really fearful about? I'm getting close. I'm old in age. My friends are dying. When am I next? You see what the problem is for this person's anxiety? Can medication help something that is a heart issue in that situation? Because the issue for their anxiety is not a medical issue. It's a heart issue. That they're fearful about something that's going on and they can't reconcile it. And so they, instead of acting on that, they react and are anxious about themselves, about the future. Now hear me, I'm not anti-medicine. If it's a medical issue, treat it medically. And sometimes I think in, in severe cases of trauma where someone has gone through just intense trauma, sometimes medication is helpful alongside counseling. But those are rare circumstances. I'm not anti-medicine. Medicine is a gift from God. But what I'm saying, I want you to hear me, is that we can't say that medicine is always going to cure spiritual issues alone. Does that make sense? I'm not anti-medicine, but what I am anti is that assuming that a medicinal cure can fix a spiritual issue. So what does it mean to worry by definition? If you're following on the sheet, what does it mean by worry by definition? To worry, to be anxious, it literally means, if you want to use a biblical definition, is to divide or to part or to rip. To divide, to part or rip or to tear apart. In other words, to distract your attention. Now, I want you to see this. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. To Matthew chapter 6. Verse 25. Okay. Are you there? Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. This is Jesus speaking. For this reason, I say to you, do not be what? Do not be what? Do not be what? Do not be worried. Do not be anxious about your life as to what you will eat and what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Jesus is saying, do not be what? Do not be worried. Do not be anxious. 
Now that's helpful. That's a command. Jesus is saying, do not be anxious. So if I am anxious, that kind of anxiety about what, I'm wear, what I should wear, about the future, about things, that is a sinful anxiety. It's a good command he gives us. But I want us to see before he gives that command, it's like we, we know here, like, yes, I know it's wrong. That's why I'm here. Right? <laughs> I know that's wrong. But notice what he says right before that verse in verse 24. Look what he says. No one can serve two masters for either he will hate one or love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. So before saying do not be anxious, what is Jesus saying? You can't have two masters. You can't be worried and and, and submitting to wealth or to things or people and God. So when he's saying here, do not be anxious here, he he proceeds that by saying, in other words, your heart can't be divided. In other words, are you going to love your esteem, your prestige, your popularity, your gold, your money, your future? Is that what you're going to hold in high prestige and say at the same time, I also love Jesus? Do you see how there's a contradiction there? That's that's the idea of worry being divided. So when we're anxious, our heart is divided in its submission to a Lord. Because in the one part of our heart is saying, I do love Jesus. He's my Lord. He he saved me. He rescued me. But the other part of our heart is saying, I am really concerned about what people think about me because I really care about others' approval. I really care about my future. I really care about my report card. I really care about my my prestige. You see what I'm saying? Our heart is divided. And so what I love what Jesus does here, before giving that command, do not be anxious, he says, he starts it off first by saying here, the issue is your heart is divided in its allegiance because you're seeking to serve me and also yourself, your popularity, your esteem. You want wealth. You can't have both wealth and Jesus. You can't have both popularity and Jesus. You can't have both comfort from people and approval from people and Jesus. He's saying here, no, no, no. If you love me, I'm going to teach you and I'll walk you how to walk through all these issues. So your heart can't be divided at its core. So that's why worry is to be divided, to be ripped apart. That we're at, the, at the core of our heart, we're really dealing with two things here. I know I'm supposed to love and follow Jesus, but I'm also torn because I'm, I'm overly anxious about what people think about me. I'm overly anxious about my future, my health, about my, my parent, my grandparent, my loved one who's sick. I'm overly anxious about this, and my heart is divided. You can't serve two masters. Does that make sense? Two masters are at play. Even sometimes more than two masters. One person put it this way when you ask the question, so who is your master? If you're struggling with anxiety, let me ask you this. Who is your master? Who is your master? Do you care more about people? Because either things we may fear more than people, things we may fear more than God, people. You ever realize that? How often we fear people? Like, there's one survey when they're saying, like, what is the, the number one fear amongst people? What would you think is the number one fear that people said in life? So acceptance. Death would be a big one, right, you would think? Maybe bungee jumping? No. Skydiving. Skydiving. You know what the number one fear in this survey was? Public speaking. <laughs> That people were afraid to stand up in front of people and speak in the public. Now, I'm not saying it's it's wrong to to, to be afraid of public speaking. But sometimes what happens is our fear of people is what we fear people more than we fear God. That our allegiance, my Lord, is people's approval than Christ. We also may fear unwanted circumstances. What if I end up in this circumstance and I don't want it this way? What if it turns out the way that I'm fearing then you could be, if you're fearing that unwanted circumstance, that could be something that has your allegiance more than Christ. Does that make sense? That if you're fearing this unwanted circumstance that you're anxious about, it could be we're fearing that more than Christ. Our heart is divided. We can't serve two masters. Also, maybe losing someone dear to us, maybe bodily harm. There are many things. Things that we may love or want more than God. People's approval. Along that lines, not only do I fear people, but I want their approval more than I want God's approval. Once you think about that, sometimes we want people's approval more than we want God's approval. I want to make sure they see me in the way I want them to see me more than I care about what God sees me and how he wants me to respond to the situation. Sometimes we want life or ease or comfort more than we want God. 
I don't want this uncomfortable circumstance. I don't want this, this frustrating outcome. And I, am, I want more to have a life of ease and comfort than to have a life that pleases and honors God. If I want that more, if I want the ease, if I want the comfort, then my heart is divided because I want an easy life more than I want to have a life that honors God even in a difficult life. You see the difference there? That you can have a difficult life that God gives you by his own sovereignty and what God wants for you in that difficult life, in that difficult circumstance, in that difficult uh, friendship, whatever it is, God wants you to be God's man or woman in that circumstance. He doesn't want to always take away the difficulty, but he wants you to be his kind of person in that circumstance. That your objective in life should be 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. We make it our ambition to be pleasing to him. That, that's your ambition. If you're struggling with anxiety and depression, your ambition, your new name tag, you stamp this on your forehead, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. Make it your ambition to be pleasing to the Lord. Now, I know we know that to be true. But how that really hits the road, how, when that rubber hits the road, is that if you're in something, a situation that is displeasing to you, your first goal is not to get out of that situation. Your first goal is not to make that situation right. Your first goal is not to get healthy. Your first goal is not to look popular. Your first goal is how can I honor the Lord in this? You catch that? That's important. If you miss this, you miss everything. If, if your first goal is to have a life of ease or to get people's approval or to, to fit in, if that's your first goal, you're going to lose that battle. But it has to be 2 Corinthians 5 verse 9. You want to be pleasing to the Lord. How can I be pleasing to the Lord? Even if my friends reject me, even if they laugh at me, how can I be pleasing to the Lord? Because I realize I want to treat them with love even if they don't treat me with love. That's pleasing to God. If they make fun of me... And I respond by praying for their salvation, praying for their soul. That's pleasing to God instead of me hoping that they accept me. So what is your Lord? Who is your master? Fear is focused on self. Because remember, we talked about earlier, worry and concern. The Bible says good worry and concern is about others. It's about the things of the Lord. Fear at its core is we're worried about ourselves. I'm worried about how can I get this done in time? What are they going to think of me? Fear ultimately is focused on self. I think you have to hear that. That's a hard truth. That when we're struggling with anxiety, the hard pill to swallow is when I'm struggling with anxiety and fear, I'm really thinking more about myself. I'm worried about my my own outcome, my own future, my own comfort. And I'm focused on my own circumstance. Is Jesus really my master? Is Jesus really my master? Another reason for guilt or fear and depression, it can be from guilt. When we're not right with God, if you know you have sin in your life, that's unconfessed sin. If you have unconfessed sin in your life, that's a big reason for guilt, which leads to depression. The things you're hiding from your parents, hiding from other people that, that no one else knows about, but you know you're dealing with and you're keeping it to yourself. Guilt can have that effect upon you. Psalm verse 38, chapter 38, verse 17 says, for I am already I am ready to fall and my sorrow is continually before me. For I confess my iniquity and I am full of anxiety. Why? The psalmist says, because of my sin, that sin can weigh down upon your soul. Have you ever felt that? I'm sure we all have felt that if you're especially if you're in Christ, if you know you sinned and you haven't confessed that sin yet. How does that sin weigh upon your soul? It can weigh upon you. It can bring you down. But when you confess it, when you make it known, oh, what a freeing burden that is. Sometimes sin can have that effect upon us. I want you to think about it before we move on. Determine the last three, two or three times you were anxious. Remember the, the two, last two or three times you were depressed. And I want you to think about in your own soul, what were you anxious about? What were you worried about? What really brought you down? What were those things that really controlled and ruled your heart and your mind? Think about those last times. Why am I asking you that? Not so you can get anxious again right now. Not so you can get depressed again right now. But I want you to look at what am I really fearing and what am I wanting most? Was I wanting to please the Lord in that scenario? Or was I really focused on how I can preserve myself, protect myself, or was I fearing people? What really were you fearful about? Because as you begin to realize this, this, this is, you have to realize the heart of it. 
It's where is it stemming from? Where is it beginning? What is really ruling my heart you want to figure out? What is ruling my heart so that I can rightly deal with it? You have to be able to identify that idol before we destroy it. It makes sense. If we want to destroy this idol, I don't want you to just stop being anxious. If you're having a panic attack, you think the worst thing you can do, okay, stop being anxious. Okay, stop. You're depressed. Buck up. Smile. Like that's, that's not the worst thing you can do. What you really want to do is identify what is this idol that I'm bowing down to that I haven't realized so that I can crush it. Do I really care about people's approval? Do I really want to be accepted? Wow, God, that's, I realize I, I care more about pleasing people than I care about pleasing you, Lord. That's, that's a sin that I'm realizing in my heart, God. Forgive me for that, Lord. Help me to work through that. And then you want to work through that biblically, which we can look at briefly. So determine those last times. I think it's also helpful if you're dealing, if you're working with someone, is to have an anxiety journal. So those times when you're having anxiety again, have a journal where you're keeping track of what were you thinking about when you started to have anxious thoughts, or what do you think about when you started to spiral. What was that first thought that popped in your mind, and how did you react instead of acting? And have that journal, like what maybe the time of day, were you alone all the time? Um, what was happening in your heart and your soul? So you can identify that idol. So I want you to hear that. You have to really not only understand the, the ultimate cause of it, your heart is divided, but also be able to identify what is it that I'm bowing down to that is ruling my heart. Are we with me so far? Okay. Now let's address this. Let's address this now. Let's address this. I'm looking at 943, it looks like. Is that what I got? Okay. Um, okay. Um, let, let's address this now. We talked a lot about already anxiety, depression, the causes, what's happening to a person when they're becoming anxious and depressed, what's really the heart issue behind it. We've talked about the, the, the reasons for it, the causes for it, um, biblically, even examples in scripture. But now I want us to look at addressing it. How do you now, how do I address my anxiety? How do I address my depression now? I haven't, I hopefully now you have an understanding what's, what's causing it, where it's stemming from. But now it would be all for naught if we didn't talk about how do you address that? How do you walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, even in our sinful struggles? The wrong ways to address these things, the wrong way is sometimes we address these wrongly by minimizing it. We, we, we minimize it. So how do we minimize it? Okay, you're struggling here. Just, just, just trust God and read the Psalms and you'll be all right. Like just, just open your Bible, read your Bible. You're struggling with that, read the Bible and you'll be all fine. Now hear me on this. I have a high view of scripture. I do believe the word of God is sufficient for everything that we need, for life and godliness. I have a high view of scripture. But when I say that we minimize it by just saying, read your Bible and pray and you'll be okay, is that we're still neglecting the reason for that person's anxiety depression. I can tell you, you're struggling with this, right? I'm struggling with this. Okay, I'm just going to read the Bible and pray. But if you neglect the idol that is ruling the heart that's causing your anxiety or depression, if you neglect to identify that idol and to cast it down and to crush it, then you're still not really addressing the issue, right? It's like someone who has cancer. If you're going into a doctor because you're sick and he says, you know what, you got cancer. All right, so what am I going to do, doc? All right, I got a cure for you. Take some Tylenol three times a day, and then ibuprofen to offset it at night. Doctor, I, I have cancer. Yes, but the pain you're feeling because of that cancer, the Tylenol is going to take away your pain, and then when you have more pain, the ibuprofen is going to help that extra pain. So now, even though you have cancer, you're never going to feel it anymore because you got Tylenol ibuprofen. Would you go back to that doctor? <laughs> no, why? Because you're not dealing with the issue of my illness. You're dealing with the pain, right? You're dealing with the pain of it, but I want you to deal with the cancer. So when we're talking about anxiety and depression, we don't want you to coach your issues by just praying it away and reading the Bible away, but really start with what's causing that cancer. What is ruling my heart and my desires that is causing me to be fearful and causing me to weigh me down so that I just don't want to do life? Deal with that ruling desire so that you can have a life that's pleasing to God. So we want to address this. So we can minimize it the wrong way by just minimizing it. We can say no one understands me. So no one understands what I'm going through. No one understands my personal struggle. My personal struggle is my personal struggle. You, no one understands me. So instead, I'm just not going to deal with it. I'm not going to speak about it. But that's wrong as well. You can do, try to do it by your own effort. I just need to handle it. I need to change my, resp my responses and my thinking. I'll be fine. 
Um, I can just manipulate things by just getting, if I get control of my circumstances, I won't be fearful of it anymore. Um, if I just keep myself busy, then I'll be fine. Uh, maybe even, now this is for more of the, the female gender, because men don't have the struggle, but sometimes when girls get together, we just want to talk about our issues because that makes me feel better. Um, that we, if I tell someone about it and just have a cathartic experience and just explain what I'm going through, we can just walk away and then it's fine. But you realize those experiences, those conversations are good. Don't shy away from that. But we never really deal with the heart issue. So just talking about it in itself does not do anything necessarily unless we're dealing with the heart issues. So by encouragement, when you have those hard conversations, you want to get to the heart of it. Say, yeah, that is struggle. That is difficult. Why? What, what initiated that? What do you think that you're loving more than God? What is it that's ruling your heart? So these are just wrong ways to go about addressing it. And so <clears throat> if we want to look at, again, if the, the right way to address it, we talk about 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. We want, I want to begin it with a strong biblical basis. It's some a helpful verse, verses to get a good grip on our souls on how do I begin to address this. 2 Corinthians 5, 9, again, we make it our ambition, whether at home or away, to be pleasing to him. Your ambition, first and foremost, if you're in Christ, is to be pleasing to God. Another thing that supplements that, Romans 8.28. That's a popular one that people know, Romans 8.28. Can anyone sh- shout out the, what Romans 8.28 is? It's a big memory verse, Romans 8.28. Don't be afraid of public speaking. What's 8.28? We know that all things work together. We know all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. You've heard that verse before? Have you heard it? That's a popular verse, right? Now we know it. How does that apply now even to my struggle with anxiety? All things work to the good work together for the good. Some things? Most things? All things work together for the good. Why is that important for someone to know who struggles with anxiety and depression that all things work together for the good? Why is that important to understand that? Because if you realize Every single thing, if you're in Christ, every single thing that God has in your life, he is working together for good. That even the most painful things you've been through, even the most confusing things you've been through, the most frustrating things you have been through is working together for good. So if that is God's intent, what does that say about how I should respond to this? I want to be pleasing to God because he ordained this for my good. You catch that? If that is true, if Romans 8.28 is true, then every single thing that is in your life now as a believer, God has placed for good. So not only do I want to be pleasing to the Lord, but I realize that even in my circumstances, James chapter 1 speaks that, um, consider it all joy, brethren, when you encounter various trials of, of different kinds, because the testing of your faith produces endurance. But let endurance have its perfect works so that you would be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I want you to hear this. Some, some of the difficult things in your life, if you're in Christ, God places in your life so that he can perfect you and mature you. Sometimes I think what we want when we're struggling with something is I want the easy outcome. I just want the outcome that will make it a lot easier on my life because I just want an easier life. It's, I understand that. It's, it's not bad to want that. But it's bad when that desire becomes a ruling desire, that I must have an easy life. But we don't realize here that if these true what God has for you, that he wants you to be pleasing to him, he's working all things for your good, and then even in the difficult things, he's seeking to make you more like Christ. If you have that foundation firm, then you can react, I'm sorry, you can act the right way instead of reacting. If you have that foundation that God is working all things for the get together for the good, he wants to perfect you even in the difficulties, and he wants you to be pleasing to him no matter what you're going through. If you have that foundation set, you're off to a good start. One thing one person said, Jerry Bridges, when he's speaking about his own confession with anxiety, he, he's a famous author, well-known author, um, just rich truths he always writes down. As he's talking about his own struggles with anxiety, I want you to hear how he describes his struggle with anxiety. He says, I've come to the conclusion that my anxiety is triggered not so much by a distrust in God as by an unwillingness to submit to and cheerfully accept his agenda for me. Jerry Bridges says that his anxiety is not necessarily because he's not trusting God, 
but rather he is anxious because he is unwilling to cheerfully, gladly submit to God's agenda for him. Sometimes you're struggling not because you don't trust God, but you're unwilling to cheerfully, happily accept God's plan for you. I do not like this, what you have for me. So it's not so much a a distrust in God, but an unwillingness to submit to God. Accepting God's providential plan for you, a heart that is submissive to his plan. You have to love God's plan, have to understand and love his will. He's working things together for the good. For depression specifically, this is where sometimes if it's if it's deep and you're deep in depression, where it'd be helpful to discuss this with someone who is mature, like a small group leader, your youth pastor, a parent, to really discuss really what's going on at the heart level. Sometimes you need someone else to be able to help and to guide you through. The proverb says that the plans in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding draws it out. In other words, there's some deep things going on in your heart. That you can't really identify. There's some things in my own heart I can't identify. But what I need sometimes are godly men to help draw out those issues in my heart. And sometimes you need that as well. To understand what is going on so you can reverse that spiral. Instead of downward spiraling, right, where you have this thought, this action that happens to you, and you respond like Cain, where you become angry and then depressed. Instead of downward spiraling, you want to have that incident or 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 this this incident that happens to you and you want to have an upward spiral so instead of now reacting to that by downward spiraling you are having an upward spiral where now you have this incident and you're responding in the right way what would god have me to respond to this how can i actually bless this person instead of becoming angry and anxious how can i actually please god in circumstance how can i grow in christ's likeness in the midst of this difficulty so now instead of reacting to your circumstances you're proactively looking at how can i honor god and how can i respond so that my heart is cheerfully accepting his providence so we want to have the right response so as we're dealing with this before your next anxiety or depression hits again here's what i want to tell you before it hits again the first thing you have to be sure before anxiety depression hits again is you have to have the assurance of your salvation this is key you have to have the assurance of your salvation before it happens again you must be secure that you are in christ this this is crucial If Jesus himself says you can't serve two masters, you want to make sure that Jesus is your treasure. Is he is the one who is your Lord and your Savior. If this is if if you're sure of this, this is fundamental to be able to to combat and deal with your sin. So not only need to be sure of your salvation, but you also need to confess your sin. Confess any sin. They talked about how, how sin can weigh a person down. David says in Psalm 32 is that, that he, he, his, he was fatigued. It was almost like he was outside in, in the heat of summer and he had no strength because of his sin. So sometimes sin is a reason. So before depression or anxiety hits again, assurance of salvation, confess your sin. And before it hits, here are some right ways to go after it. Here are some right ways. Identify those idols and fears that are ruling your life that you love more than God. Before it hits again, you need to identify what are these idols that are ruling your heart? What are some idols that you love or that you're fearing more than God that you want more than God? Is it people like we talked about? Fear of people. Is it, is it a, wanting a life of ease and comfort? Is it wanting people's approval? Is it wanting health? Is it wanting wealth? Is it wanting popularity? Is it wanting whatever it is? You need to identify what is it that you are wanting or are loving more than God. That's the right way to go about it. Because Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The first priority for you, believer, is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So Jesus knows you'll be prone for anxiety. You're prone to these things. We all are, like I said. We all are prone to this. But the constant reminder, I even have to remind myself at times, is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to me. God knows your needs. Right? God knows your needs. He knows every single thing that's going on in your life. He knows every single thing you need. But how does Jesus address that? He says, first and foremost, you can't have two masters. And secondly, now he's saying at the end of this chapter, is you must seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So before your anxiety and depression hits again, sure your salvation, confess sin, but go about it the right way. Seek first the kingdom of God. But not only that, you need to have right praying. Right praying. Go to Philippians chapter 4. Real quick. Philippians chapter 4. Verse 6. 
Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. This is Paul talking about anxiety specifically. Look what he says in verse 6. Be anxious for what? Be anxious for what? Be anxious for what? Be anxious for what? For nothing. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication. Make your requests known to God. So before anxiety hits again, you have to have not only the right way, seek first his kingdom, but the right praying. You have to have the right praying. Be anxious about nothing, he's saying. Don't be anxious about anything. So we have to recognize and confess that my anxiety is a sin because I'm concerned and over-anxious about things, about the future, about things, about people, etc., etc. So I need to recognize and confess worry is sin. That's in your note under number one. Recognize and confess worry is sin. We want to thank God for his goal and his trials and problems. You, you thank, thank God for that. Thank God for trials. Thank God for problems. That's a difficult thing to say and to believe, but thank God for those issues. Thank God for your problems. Thank God for your struggles that he's placed in your life because you realize what he's doing in you. But above all that, have specific requests that you're praying for. If you're anxious about something, don't be afraid to pray specifically for whatever you're anxious about. He says, don't be anxious, but by everything, I'm sorry, but don't be anxious about anything, but in, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, make your request known to God. So be praying specifically about something you're anxious about. If you're anxious about a relative, about yourself, about the future, be praying specific requests. Lord, I, I pray that when I go into to school tomorrow, when I start school, that I would not be more concerned about people, but I'd be concerned about giving you glory and making sure I, I honor you in every interaction. God, I pray that you would help me develop good, godly relationships here at school. I pray, God, that you would help me to be a light when I know people are seeking out to do harm to me. You want to pray specifically for those requests. God wants to hear that. God cares about everything in your life. So pray specifically. Right praying. Right praying leads to, under C, right thinking. Right praying leads to right thinking. If you're praying rightly, right, if you're praying for the right thing, I'm not praying for just ease. I'm praying for to having to be God's kind of man, God's kind of woman. Then it's going to lead to right thinking. This begins with your desires and your motives. That your thinking is your desire and your motive is not to have the outcome that you want. But your desire and your motive is to please God in all things. So if you're praying rightly, if you're going about this the right ways with the right praying, then you're going to have the right thinking. You want to remind yourself under number two of C, to remind yourself of God's provision for you. That's a practical discipline you want to do. Remind yourself of God's provision for you. So even if it's provision in terms of God's peace, you know God promises perfect peace to you that surpasses all knowledge. That God promises perfect peace to the believer. So in other words, if you're overly anxious about something, God's promise to you is he can give you perfect peace that surpasses understanding. It does not make sense. Why can you have perfect peace even though you have multiple reasons to be fearful? Because God promises that. Remind yourself of God's provision. It's even helpful if you look at after verse 6 he says, with that thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And he promises here, verse 7, chapter 4, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. But look what he says in verse 8. Finally, brethren, this is what you're to do now. Not only do you want to not be anxious, but not only trust in God's peace, but this is what you're going to proactively do. This is the acting instead of reacting. So if you're struggling with anxiety, instead of reacting and reacting to fears, here's what you proactively want to do even before it hits. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute. If there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. What is Paul saying for the anxious heart? Is instead of focusing on the thing that I'm anxious about, proactively, right? So act, not react. I'm going to think about what is true, what is lovely, what is of good repute, what is, what is, what is actually righteous, what is lovely. You have to have the right thinking. Have a think list. Have, if you're dealing with something specifically that's, that's fearful, if you have a fear of, of people, then you want to not only identify that fear of what you're fearing, but also have a think list of what you can think about that is actually good and lovely and true. So not only know what you're fearing, but also proactively know what you can think about in the midst of your anxiety before it hits again. So when I start to fear people, instead of fearing people, I'm going to think about what God has to say about the situation. What God has to say, he says, don't fear man who can cure your body, but God says, fear me who can kill body and soul. So when I begin to fear men, I'm like, oh, Lord, 
You said not to fear man, but fear you who can cure body and soul. Man can't do anything to me. I'm in your hands. I'm going to think about the protection of God. I'm going to think about how, Lord, you, you said your hand is upon me. You said you would never leave me nor forsake me. You said that you would guide me. You said you'd give me perfect peace. I'm going to proactively have a think list of what I will think about before my anxiety hits again. So I know when I'm prone to anxiety, what am I proactively going to think about instead of what I'm fearing? I'm going to put off my anxiety and I'm going to put on these good thoughts. So you have to have a think list that you have that what am I going to think and dwell on? Paul says dwell on these things. If you don't have a think list, if you don't have what you're proactively going to meditate on, you're going to fail every single time because you have no recourse. Because you don't want to just stop being anxious, but you want to stop being anxious and start trusting and dwelling on what is true. So you want to have right praying. These are right thinking, the right choices, the right actions. For specifically depression, some things that we think about is, you know, I can't. I can't do this. I can't do anything. Right? But what's the right thinking in that? It's not I can't. It's no, no, you haven't learned yet. I'm in, I'm no good. I'm no good. I'm not worth anything. That's a lie that you believe. But instead, you have Christ's righteousness. Do you have Christ's righteousness? You have everything. But we begin to think lies and dwell on lies and cling to lies. There are multiple examples. But if you have wrong, sinful patterns of thinking, you not only identify that, you cast it off. Make Christ your Lord, your only Lord, and have right ways to go about it. So you not only want to have the right thinking and the right choices, but you want to have the right action. Number three, right action. You want to redirect your faith instead of in yourself, but in God. The right action tells before anxiety, depression is again, instead of redirecting, instead of having your faith focused on yourself or on other people, you're trusting in people, you're trusting in yourself. You want to redirect it to your trusting in God, redirect it in your faith in God. Put on right praying, put on right thinking, put on right choices, on the right acting, put on all these things. Specifically now, if you're dealing with depression, I want to give specific insight for it for depression. If that is what you're struggling with. You need to do these things to be very practical help. You want to get others to encourage you. You need to get others to encourage you. you need others who are godly people, who you trust, who know, love the Lord, who can point you in truth to encourage you. And not only encourage you, but who watch for excuses for you that you can make. <clears throat> Sometimes someone with a depression, I'm not going to go out because I don't feel like I just want to stay in bed. You're going to need those people who can call you out and say, no, 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 you can't stay in bed. I want to encourage you and you can't make excuses to not do this. You need people who can hold you accountable, hold you to the fire, and not let you make excuses. You need to find a neighbor, a friend, or someone godly to work with you. You need theological development. You need to learn about God's provision, God's sovereignty. You need to learn about God's, God's power, God's, God's sustaining you. Uh, there are just numerous things you want to go after. You don't want to just stay stagnant and keep it to yourself. This is not a personal struggle. You need to reach out for godly help from godly people. If you stay alone, then you think you're alone, and then you fight this alone, and then you lose alone. All right? So you cannot stay alone. Physical exercise. Physical exercise for anxiety and depression is a very practical resource. So even before, again, this is before anxiety and depression hits, implement physical exercise into your life. Try to work out at least 20 minutes, if you can, two to three times a week. Exercise, physical exercise is important. We're body and we're soul. We're body and soul. Body and soul. You want to take care of your body and you also want to take care of your soul. So if you're not going to take care of your body, it's, it's going to not help you in that process. So you do want to realize that God does care about your body. So take do um, be involved in exercise and make sure that physical exercise is a part of your routine because that helps with anxiety practically and depression because if we're, if we're down and out, we're not pursuing these things, it's just not a helpful component. Physical exercise is important. Um, do a thoughts catalog. So what I'm going to touch on briefly, the thoughts catalog I passed out to you, this is meant to guide you and help you when you figure out your thoughts that you're struggling with. There's three columns here. Now, the left column says not true. Now, there's sometimes there are thoughts that you have that are just not true thoughts. And the sad part about it is these, these thoughts rule your heart sometimes. And they're, the, the, the sad part about it is that they rule, your, they rule your heart and your thoughts, but they're not true. That thoughts that are just not true. For example, someone can think, everyone hates me. Everyone hates me. No one likes me. Do you realize that's not a true thought? That's not a true thought. And yet it can rule our minds more than we think. To think everyone hates me. 
Or everyone, everyone thinks I'm ugly. I'm ugly. These are thoughts that we think in our minds, and they're not true thoughts. But you know what happens is the flesh, our enemy, tries to say, no, that's true. You are ugly. Everyone does hate you. No one does like you. You are going to fail. If you realize and identify this is not a true thought, what do I do with that thought? I need to identify this is not true. And how do I respond with that in, in, in scripture? There's some scriptures there to complement that. But you want to think specific thoughts that address that thought. I'm ugly. No, no, no. Psalm 139 says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That God made me. That he made me. That beauty is not in the eyes of the beholder. Beauty is in the eyes of God. And everything God makes is beautiful. Everyone does not hate you because everyone in the world does not know you. It's just you think these handful of people hate you. That's still not a true thought. These are assumptions that we, that we get overwhelmed with. And if you identify it as not true, then you know how to respond to it. This is the false thought I need to put off. Because that means I'm, I'm clinging to, to false lies and they're ruling my heart. These are, on the far column, go to the right. True and sinful thoughts. True and sinful thoughts. These, these can be thoughts that are true, but they're still sinful. Like, I want to hurt someone. That's true. Maybe you want to hurt someone, but it's a sinful thought. I want to I want to seek revenge on someone who hurt me. Again, it's a true thought. You want revenge, but it's sinful. If you know the kind of thought, then you know how to go after it. Then I realize this is a sinful thought. I need to surrender to the Lord. That, that my heart is wanting revenge because I care more about how this person hurt me than I care about how to honor God. Does that make sense? So if it's a true sinful thought, you want to deal with it rightly. The middle column, true but not sinful. These are things that can kind of kick our minds into overdrive. There's some people who I've dealt with who struggle uh, to some degree. They, they think that they're dealing with same-sex attraction. They think, oh, I think this person is attractive. Does that mean that I'm struggling with my gender? No. It's not sinful to think, see, oh, this person's attractive. That's not a sin because God made everyone beautiful. God made everyone. So to notice God's beauty, that's not a sin. It's sin when you take that thought and you dwell on it and you begin to lust. But just because you notice something is attractive or something's beautiful does not mean that's sin in itself. And sometimes what happens is we take that thought that is just, it's a fact, right? It's a fact. But we think that's wrong. Oh, what does that say about me? How do I respond to that? And then we just downward spiral again. So if that is a, a true thought, but it's not sinful, you identify it there and you realize, okay, now how can I dwell on something that's true now and, 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 and beauty and beautiful and wonderful and good report and praiseworthy? So you have to categorize your thoughts. Categorize your thoughts so you understand how to go after your thoughts. If you begin to do that, that takes you a long way. Now, during the time of anxiety, now you have a, a set. What are you going to do before anxiety and depression hits? Now, what happens now? You're now, you have all this prepared, but now tomorrow, anxiety and depression begins to hit. What do you do? Number one, under A, earnestly seek the Lord and his help. Earnestly seek the Lord and his help. You begin to pray. Lord, I know I, I am struggling right now. I'm fearful. I am becoming overwhelmed by my thoughts. I want to seek you, Lord, for help. Psalm 46 says that you are a refuge for me, God. You are my strength. B, you want to put off being sinfully fearful or if it's sinfully depressed. Put it off. So not only do you want to put off the thought you realize you identify, you bring to the Lord, but put off being sinfully fearful under B. Ask yourself, what am I fearing more than God? What am I fearing more than God? Are my thoughts heading in the wrong direction? Are they headed on? Are my thoughts focused on the future? Are they focused on temporal things? Are they focused on untrue things? Are they focused about me? Are they focused on something that's void or deficient of God's truth? What are you thinking about? And then number C, you want to not only earnestly seek God for help and not only put off being sinfully fearful or depressed, but C, you want to put on trust, responsibility, and love. Now you want to put on trust, responsibility, and love. So you identify, put it off, but you want to focus now on, on God and his promises. You want to dwell. Go to your think list. Think about what is true that you wrote down before. What's your think list? How am I going to address this? How can I think and pray on what is true and right and praiseworthy? Ask yourself, <clears throat> how can I do what is right now? I know what I'm fearful about. I identify my idols. I'm casting it off. But now, how can I actually do what is right? Instead of now being disheartened because I feel people dislike me, I'm going to seek now to pray for this person. I'm going to pray for these people. I'm going to pray that God gives me a heart to love them. I'm going to pray that God ministers and strengthens them. I'm going to pray that God builds them up in truth. What can I do? What can I do that is the right thing now? What is the responsible thing to do? What is the loving thing I can do? What is the constructive thing I can do? You need to be willing to endure temptation or fear. So realize when anxiety temptation hits again, be willing to endure that temptation. 
Temptation will come, but be willing to endure it. Because again, who is sovereign? If God is sovereign, then be willing to endure that time of temptation because God is working all things for your good. And he wants you to walk through that temptation well. Now, actually do these things. This is not just a list to make you feel better. Go through these things before your anxiety, depression hits again. Go through that list and do them. And when, it, and when it hits, do this. Actually do these things. They will become more natural to you the more and more you do it. The more you ingrain godly habits, the more you will act the right way. Because if you realize the reason why we struggle with depression and anxiety is the habits that we've ingrained in our hearts are sinful habits that I'm just so used to doing. When someone t- says something the wrong way, I'm so used to just getting down on myself or being depressed or being anxious about what they're going to say next to me. I'm just so used to doing that. When I see my to-do list and I'm overwhelmed with what I have to do, I'm so used to becoming anxious because I can't get this done. I'm so used to worrying about what are people going to think about me. You realize you have habits that are sinful and habits that are ingrained in your heart. But what you need to do now, if you implement these things, you're ingraining good, godly habits to fight your sin. So do these things. Now, lastly, I'm going to end with after, say, anxiety or depression hit. And maybe you failed. Maybe you've given way to anxiety and depression. Afterwards, what do you do? Ask yourself, you're looking back, how did I sin? What was it that I was loving or cherishing more? What was it that I was really fearing? Ask yourself, what happened? How did I sin? Be specific about your thoughts and your actions. Ask yourself, if I had to do this over again, what would I do differently? What would I change? Confess and ask forgiveness of God and for maybe anyone else who's affected by that. So after you realize that, just confess. Confess your sins to God and, and realize, what am I going to do differently next time? Realize now the biggest lie that we can believe, again, I'm going to say, is that you're the only one dealing with this. You're the only one dealing with this. The biggest lie you can believe is I'm the only one dealing with this sin. No one else understands. I want you to think about it. If Jesus is your treasure, if he is your true treasure, you must realize your main objective in life is to be pleasing to him. 2 Corinthians 5, 9. You have to realize everything God puts in your plate in your life is for good. That God does not want to do you harm. God wants to build you up. And if that's the case, you want to be thinking about how you can proactively act in the right ways that you're pleasing to God, that you're growing in Christ, rather than reacting to the circumstances in your life. You have to make it your ambition. Be pleasing to the Lord. This is not a battle that you can fight alone. Don't do it alone. Do not do it alone. Confess this to your small group, to your, to your, your, your youth pastor, to your, your parent. Confess this. Don't leave this in the dark. That's the worst thing you can do. If you stay in the dark, you will fight in the dark, and you will lose in the dark. Don't do that. That's the worst thing you can do. You need the body of Christ. You need your brothers and sisters. So it's not something you can do alone. Let's pray. Our God, we know there's much here, God, but we, we trust this into you. I pray, God, that you would work these truths into our hearts to not only know them, but to to put them into practice. Father, I pray you would perfect us, that you would help us to trust in Christ, to love Christ, and to walk in Christ. God, we do need you. I pray that your spirit would work this truth in our hearts, that we would trust in you and be built up in Christ. As we struggle with sin, Lord, we realize that this is an ongoing battle until our bodies are glorified. I pray that we would fight this battle by the power of the Spirit, waging war with the Word of God and entrusting our hearts to the God who has saved us. So, Lord, I just pray you would work your work through this. In Christ's name, amen.